You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. All right, welcome to the show, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. This is John Massengill. I am in my studio in Austin, Texas. And also have Jonathan Green and Les Kaiser back on the show, both of their studios. How's it going, boys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Ah, good, uh, good and hot. It's Austin, Texas in uh, summertime. It's uh, hot. Man, it yeah, feels... you it when you're inside. <laughs> <laughs> it feels miserable outside. Good to be in the air conditioning. Man, I'm really excited about our show today. We have a guest on the show that is really a, a longtime star of Formula One and been in and out of uh, a Formula One and just a, one of the most uh, respected names in Formula One. We have Gary Anderson's going to join us here in just a moment. And... Uh, I, Jonathan, I know you go uh, go back. You've you've known Gary back for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, Gary's history. I, I hope you'll share a little bit uh, of his background because, uh, yeah, Gary was um, one of the originals at Jordan and and has been part of the Formula One scene for for many years, uh, both um, at the sharp end of getting the cars ready and technical directing and, and helping design and. And, and, and all those factors in Formula One, but also of late has been a major, a major media player as well uh, as guests on many shows uh, around Britain and around the world, uh, you know, basically giving um, his take on Formula One. So at this time is perfect because we've got so much to talk about with Austria coming online, the new budget cap, um, the change basically of Formula One. We are going through a change. Uh, COVID, whether we like it or not, has has created a rare stop in this sport that's never really happened uh, since it began in 1950. So um, it's going to be very interesting times this next six months. Well, we are two weeks away, guys. Can you believe it? We're actually seeing cars on track in Austria. So I'm just so ready. over the top excited. Yeah, I am ready. And I think a lot of people are ready. Well, speaking of ready, I think we have our guest on the line. So let's go ahead and bring him on. And we're very excited to welcome Gary Anderson to the show. Gary, welcome to Speed City. Hi, everybody. Yep, it's great to be there. Speed City, it's very great to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Two weeks away. Well, we're really excited to have you. And, yeah, why don't you give everyone a little background here in the United States about your career, Gary? Well, yeah, it started a long time ago. Um, I lived in Ireland. I was born in Ireland. Um, and uh, when I was 20 years old, I decided to go off and see Pastures Green, I suppose you might call it, or Pastures New. I uh, came over to England. And I worked around a little bit, as Irishmen do when they come to England. They had to get a job on a building site. So I, did, <laughs> I did that. Um, and I was a mechanic. And suddenly this offer came up to go to work for a company called Brabham. Um, and it was owned by Bernie Eccleston at that point in time. And I was building um, Formula 3 cars, Formula 2 cars for sale, basically. And uh, a job came up on the Formula 1 team in 1973. And uh, I decided to take it. Uh, my... My sort of job application was if I could lift a, a DFV engine, which was a Formula One engine at that point, down a V8 engine, into the back of a transit van, uh, the job was mine. So uh, <laughs> I was a good Irishman with a strong back. I did it. I've been paying the price ever since, I think. But uh, So I started off as a mechanic there, and I worked myself up to chief mechanic. Um, I left Bradham, then went to McLaren. Um, and I worked at McLaren again. I worked from being a mechanic up to chief mechanic. And I started my own company called Anson, which we built uh, Formula 3 cars, Super V cars, raced in America. Um, so, you know, fairly checkered career. I did a bit of time in the mid-80s with Gallus Racing in America, um, IndyCars. Um, Jeff Brabham, Pancho Carter, uh, Roberto Moreno. 
Um, came back to, to the UK and set up a former 3000 team with a guy called Roberto Moreno again, and, and they won the 1988 uh, former 3000 championship. And then Eddie Jordan um, phoned me up one day and said he wanted to build a Formula 1 car, and would I come and design it? And I told him, no, you're mad, you're crazy. Um, I think through the years I've proved that he is mad and crazy. But I decided to go and do it. And uh, Jordan Formula 1 team was born in 1991. And from there on in, I was you know, involved in the design of cars. Um, my era was that you, know, you, you could improve yourself. Today it's very, very different. You know, there isn't an opportunity. There isn't the open doors for, for somebody like me. You've had, got to have qualifications coming out of your ears. I don't have any of those, but uh, I was, you know, hard taught and, and learned as much as I could and tried to put it all into practice. So uh, from then I, I was involved in the design and technical directorship of Jordan and then Stuart Grand Prix. Um, and then um, one thing led to another and just basically you get burned out by it all. So I decided to... Uh, to retire from the act of cliff face as such. And I got involved with the media and trying to bring to the people a bit more of what goes on in Formula One rather than the, this sort of black art that seems to be there because, you know, yes, it's very, very complicated. It's, you know, very sophisticated. It's, you know, engineering at its highest level, but it's still it's still just real engineering and it really is, should be um, motorsport and it should be a sport. And I try to bring that level to the, to the people who watch it Gary, it's an interesting time, and I know you're right at the heart of it, being in England and being near Silverstone and so on. Um, give yeah. us an idea of what's been what's been talked about in the pubs, so to speak, about the return of Formula One, because this is a rare time that Formula One has been effectively on hold. I, I, it's unprecedented, I think, in its history. What What's the general feeling about going back to racing um, and how successful they can be in this short period of 2020? Well, you know, I've got a lot of friends, obviously, involved the cliff face of Formula One at the moment, and uh, there isn't much much chat going on in the pub. Um, the pubs have all been shut over here, which is a bit, <laughs> bit of disappointing. But um, you know, they're all they're all a bit they're all a bit worried. They're all a bit unknown about it. To be honest, that's the biggest thing, I suppose, because they don't know really how it's going to happen. You know, Formula One's a huge conglomerate of people, and Liberty Media obviously are are, are pulling the strings to try and make it all work because. If it doesn't work, the teams financially will suffer dramatically, and so will Liberty Media. So at the end of the day, they've got to try to make something happen. And I've said a few times in my media stuff that you know, the first thing you have to do is put together a calendar um, that might not be accurate, but at least it gives the team something to work towards. And I think that's what's happening now. I mean, we've got the, the first nine races, I think, is, are confirmed. Um, some double headers, uh, but they're all European races. They're all trying to contain it as best possible. They're going to fly in in sort of bubbles of people, and they're going to stay in different hotels in bubbles of people. So they're going to try to contain it as best possible, but get some races. It's not like NASCAR or IndyCars because we have, you know, Formula One has people coming from all over the world um, to you know the Japanese with the Honda engine, you know. Everywhere they're coming from all over the world, to be honest. So it's not one country trying to contain itself. So I think it's a bit unknown. And Austria have opened the doors. Red Bull, you know, DT Matthews owns a circuit that uh, they're going to race in Red Bull. So he made things happen, the Red Bull ring. And that is an opportunity to see how to lay the land down and how to make it all work and try to make sure that the health of the people involved is the priority. Well, you know, Gary, I want to ask you, just stepping back a little bit, you said, obviously, we got eight races that's been announced, it's official, but we just don't know what to expect after that. Do you have any insight? Do you have any, even the best guess of, of how many races we think we're going to get this season? Well, I do genuinely think we'll get double that. Um, but I think the majority is going to be in Europe. I think we're going to struggle to go abroad, you know, um, internationally. Um, because just it is it is so difficult just controlling what's happening in other countries. There will be some, I think, uh, international races, um, but it's just one of those sort of situations. I think that starting in Europe, they're going to learn how to sort of make it work, how to manage it, how to make it into a, how to make it into a race. I suppose you know it's not deviating much from what happens, but you know, the public and the viewers, the spectators at the track. 
they're such a big part of what makes it work that um, doing it sort of to an empty grandstand, I'm not sure the motivation will just be right there. It's, it's, a, it's a bit strange. You know, the, we've got a thing like the World Touring Car Championship, for example, and um, that's all the manufacturers of the touring cars. And they, they really race at places where there is no crowd whatsoever. Whereas you take the British Touring Car Championship, which is, again, just tin top cars, they, they race in circuits in the UK just full of people. It's the people that make the racing. And this is going to be a whole new thing for Formula One to try to understand how it works. Because it is just going to be something that's about scoring points, not about anything else. You know, the TV coverage is obviously going to be there. But the, the whole thing works for the people at the circuit. You know, the Silverstone we have over the, the three days, you know, 250,000 people or something. Um, they're not going to be there anymore. So, yeah, I remember Jackie Stewart telling me he would, he, he would drive around the track and he'd see somebody in the grandstand with a pink T-shirt on or whatever it was. Um, and he'd know whenever they moved seats because he'd be keeping an eye on them and he'd you know, see this thing standing out in the crowd. The crowd ain't going to be there anymore. So... Uh, going to be very, very different. Gary, yeah. you touched on a good point. Yes, there's going to be TV coverage, but honestly, the TV coverage is uh, very limited or very sparse, or uh, I'll say very concentrated in some ways. But they're talking about media folks uh, being limited to as few as 10 people on site for the race, not of any entity, but as a collective, 10 people on that. I find that's going to really limit the coverage that you're going to be able to get in all the different languages that uh, go out for Formula One. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it's a bit strange because, you know, when you haven't got the audience, when you haven't got the viewer, the, the spectator, sorry, at the track, um, then I think the media needs to be bigger because it needs to put it out to those people that would have come to the race. And I just sort of working out reading today that they're shortening down the, the grid procedure to, to 30 minutes instead of 40 minutes as it was last year. But you're allowed 40 people from each team onto the grid initially, and then it's cut down to, I think it's 15 or something, with five minutes to go. But 40 people from each team is 10 teams. That's 400 people on the grid in a, a fairly confined area, a plus, you know, plus, plus, plus all the uh, officials and all that sort of stuff. And, and yet, media-wise, which is what takes it out to the world, to the public, to the sponsors, to everybody, it's, it's very limited. So I, I think you may have sort of um, forgotten what makes the, you know, what, what substitutes the payroll. Mm. Excuse, me, excuse me a second. <coughs> Sorry about that. Carry on. That's all right. Well, Gary, you know, this shortened season has, has brought up so many questions about everything from what we might see at some of the races. You know, we got these double headers. We're talking mm -hmm. different tires now and everything from uh, reverse grids. What do you expect to see that would be different this year? Well, the thing I can see that they're heading into these um, races and, and they're not actually end up doing anything different. I mean, the reverse grid thing. I've been a bit of a fan of it, not, not because necessarily that it should count for the World Championship, but at the end of the day, I think everybody's recognized that Formula One could do with something that might spice it up a little bit. And we talk about the cars and changing them aerodynamically and writing the regulations so the cars will be better in traffic. The biggest thing you could do is make the teams design cars that have to work in traffic. And the only way you'll do that is by having the fast cars at the back and the slower cars at the front. Um, to force the teams into not designing a car that basically is at its ultimate performance on that one lap in qualifying on its own in a clear track. Because if you can do that on a Saturday, you know, as we've seen many, many, many times, Sunday becomes a, a foregone conclusion because you know the guy on pole position, unless something stupid happens, will normally be able to go on and win the race. So they're trying to write the regulations to make the cars better in traffic than overtaken possible. But yet now an opportunity has come up to try something different because this, this season should all be about trying something different. And the reverse grid thing would be something that would allow that to, to see if it worked. And it was only a reverse grid for qualifying. You know, basically the, the, the championship after it, I think it was too early to try and start it in Austria because you need a championship poise. You need to see a, a bit of a rhythm going. So I think maybe race five or something, in my opinion, 
should have been qualifying would be the reverse championship. It would all have settled down a little bit. We'd have seen who's strong, who wasn't. And then on a Saturday, you had this shortened um, yeah, reverse championship grid for, for the qualifying for the main race on Sunday. And the main race would still be the same. The main race would be the one that would count towards the World Championship. So it was just an opportunity to sort of slip something else in there and see how it would work. If it didn't work, nothing lost, because the season's a mess anyway. So, you know, I think it's wrong for people that are standing in the way of it. And unfortunately, the people that are standing in the way of it are the people that would lose most probably, i.e. Total Wolf and Mercedes, by having to try to qualify from the back of the grid on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, that's always going to happen, isn't it? Why would they want to put their hand up and say, well, this is a good idea, we'll really screw ourselves here, and we'll, uh, we'll put ourselves to the back of the grid and see what we can do. You know, that's not the way it works. So I think opportunity is here to do something, and Liberty Media, FIA, and whoever else governs this sport needs to sort of welcome it with open arms and try and do something. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, uh, you know, not in Mercedes' best interest or Ferrari, but maybe in the sport's best interest. Well, well, guys, we need to take a quick break. Gary, if you can hang on through the break with us, we'll be back and more with Gary Anderson. Listen to Speed City, back to these messages. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers, the best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. At Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives, only water, malt, hops, and yeast, and absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town in your favorite store or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company. Born, bred, and brewed in Texas. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Talk 1370. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Gary Anderson, and a Formula One veteran and Formula One media member insider. And Les Kaiser, you had a question for Gary. I did, and it's around the topic of the reverse grid. Mm -hmm. I'm still on the fence. I'm undecided about reverse grid. But Gary, I'm with you on let's try something. Let's stir up some excitement. But uh, as we go to reverse grid, I feel like there needs to be an element that considers the distance we drove, a la one of our Lama. You might not have started, or you may have crossed the line first, but somebody behind you that improved more so throughout the race may have actually beat you. Gary, what is your perspective on that? Well, I mean, my main objective with having something like the reverse grid is to force the teams into building a car that would aerodynamically be more robust in traffic. Nothing else to do with, with um, the fact of, that it would influence the championship. It obviously will do if the grid changes dramatically. But at the end of the day, you know, if you put the fastest driver in the fastest car on pole position, what do you expect to happen on Sunday afternoon? That, that is what's going to happen for sure. So on the way there... 
we, we've seen many, many times a car will catch another car because of whatever reason, and it just can't pass. You can't get within 20 meters of it just from the fact of the turbulence. So if we could do something that would force the teams to design a car that's a bit different, that actually ends up with more robust aerodynamic surfaces on it. I mean, it's like an aeroplane, you know. If it's going to fly high altitude, super sleek wing section, everything, it'll fly along their own quite happily. But if it's going to fly through the clouds all the time in bad weather from, you know, I don't know, I actually fly from Chicago down to Indianapolis quite a lot when I was out in the States. And the weather there was pretty bad usually. So the thing, they bounce around all over the place. Now, a recent car is just exactly the same. You know, once you get behind another car, the thing's just bouncing around all over the place and you lose a lot of grip. So you need to force the teams to design these cars. And I, I don't disagree with you, the fact that the, you know, the guy on the back of the grid would start with eight metres, I think it is, between each grid position. So you're not talking a huge amount of distance. Um, but there, there's some, I'm sure there's some formula there that might work out for you to say who made up the bit most positions could be multiplied by X, Y, Z or whatever. There may be something in there. But from my point of view, the most important thing is to not try to change the regulations to make the racing better, but to try to make the teams design cars that will make the racing better. And if you can do that by having a season of opportunity to try something, then you haven't wasted that season. The end result, you know, I'm pretty sure it would still be the same thing because it wouldn't be every race you'd have this reverse grid thing. It would be, you know, four or five of them, six of them maybe at the end of the day, just to test it out to see what the different situation would create. Gary, I want you to can put your technical director hat on and just look at the budget caps. Um, if you yeah. were back at Jordan now, or let's take a team that we all follow, which is Haas, um, you know, a midfield team, will this, will this eventually play to the advantage of the midfield teams? Or do you think that the halves will continue to be the halves and, and it, it won't make that much of a difference to have even a lessening um, budget cap, which is going to, we hear, go down year on year. What's your take if you were running a, te- a midfield team now? Um, I, I genuinely think that the, the budget cap that they have now, which is $145 million for next year, um, will actually separate the halves from the half-nots more because half of the grid, the, the half-nots, would just dream of $145 million. You know, that's a huge budget. And I never had anything ever near that in my life. If I had $45 million, I think that would have been a fantastic budget. I don't think I've ever said anything like that. But at $145 million now, plus the drivers, plus the three top earners in the company, plus the commercial department, plus the marketing department, the uh, entertainment, all the, you know, the, the paraphernalia at the track, that's all on top of that $145 million. So now, take a situation. You've got, you know your budget spend. So for a team like Mercedes, they can know they've got $145 million to spend on their car. The top three earners, they can hire the best. They, they have probably the best, but they can hire the best. They can pay them what they want. They can hire the best drivers. They can hire, have the best commercial department to bring in that money. So their $145 million, because they have very deep pockets, will turn into $300 million very, very quickly. You take Haas. It's got $145 million. It can't afford to, to hire Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel on top of that. They have to have drivers that will either bring them a few quid or, um, or at least come for you know, the, the, the one, two million payment. So the, the, the have-nots can't hire the big, the big, uh, the big uh, drivers, the top drivers. So the top guys have the opportunity to do everything. Now, if, if that budget had been set at, let's say, just as an example, $200 million, and it had to cover everything, then a team like Mercedes would have to make a decision on whether they could build a, their extra money, could build a car that was going to be better than actually building a car and employing Lewis Hamilton. So that extra $40 million, let's say, that Lewis Hamilton might want. They'd say, okay, um, we could hire Kevin Magnussen. He'll come for $3 million, $5 million, whatever it be, and that gives us another $35 million to spend on the car. And we can do a better job for $35 million than Lewis Hamilton can be. They'd have to make a decision. That's the important thing. It's forcing these teams into making a decision. 
and they haven't done that. They haven't used that opportunity. So they've got a budget cap, but it's open-ended, really. Um, and the, mm -hmm. the guys with the deep pockets will, will spend the money. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, in the past in different sports, and I think of baseball and basketball and football, we've seen salary caps for the, the uh, teams. What if we were to draw that towards a salary cap for the driver to kind of even what you're going to spend on the driver? But, of course, it, if uh, you win races, maybe the driver gets more of that purse for winning that race. Yeah. Uh, is that an option in this crazy world and time? I agree 100% with you. You know, someone has to be done about it because we've got very, very good drivers. And I mean, one guy that I, I think is a very, very good driver is George Russell. You know, he, he, every time he tests a Mercedes, he's, he's quick. He's as good as the, you know, the top guys in it, uh, any circuit they, they've gone to. Uh, he's got a good attitude. He's kept his head down with Williams in a very, very tricky season. Um, but he's always given it his best. And, you know, whenever you look at – I always look at the, the, the first lap of a race as to who – you know, makes up ground, who doesn't, you know, how they, how they handle that first lap of the race. And he's been very good. He's a very good survivor of that first lap from starting at the back of the grid. So, you know, you've got George Russell, who, you know, he'd, he'd drive for, for nothing, basically, because that's what he has to do. You know, he has to get himself in there somehow. Um, whereas Lewis Hamilton, you know, he wants his 40 million, 50 million. He's got the credibility for it. He's got six times world champion or whatever it is. So, you know, he's got that credibility. But at the end of the day, both of those guys, other than the experience that Lewis Hamilton has, could probably end up doing the same job as far as pure out-and-out -out lap time is concerned in the same car. And there's a massive, massive difference in the amount of money. And so something has to be done there where, as I say, there's a, a flat-line payment for the drivers. And then, you know, Points, points make prizes, and uh, you take home what you what you earn. Basically, you have to get out there and do it on a on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, you know that's that's what it should be all about. Well, Gary, what about the the prediction for the season? You know, there's, it's so crazy right now. We don't know what to expect. I mean, obviously, we think Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull are are going to do well, yeah. but do you have any surprise predictions at all for the season? Please. No, not really. I mean, the top three, top three should be the top three. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Red Bull um, from the fact that I, I like Max Verstappen. You know, I, I like his dad. I'm around long enough to know his dad very well. Um, but, you know, Max is one of these guys who's committed to driving. He's just, he's just a real racer. Red Bull have let him down in the past a little bit because they haven't started the season very strongly. So they need, if they can start the season um, on a strong foot, and the first three or four races are going to be important for them. They'd be my, they'd be my um, candidate for the championship. Honda have obviously got to play a big part in that, but you know they're they're doing a pretty good job now. They've really come on strong in the last year. I think there's a there's a bit of a mess going on at, at uh, Mercedes um, with things that are you know, potentially changing. Um, Toto Wolff doesn't seem to be. As, uh, as committed as he, as he normally is because the management at Mercedes have changed. I'm not sure he gets on quite as well with that management structure. Um, they've also had a change at HPD, the, the engine development uh, group. So, you know, Andy Carl, he's been a big leader there for a long time, and, and you know, he's moving on now at the end of this month. Everything like that, that, all that sort of change just disrupts everything a little bit. It might just work as well with the new people, but there's always this time lag before everything starts working together correctly uh, after there is a change. So whether it's two months, three months, six months, whatever, that time lag will affect them. So I'm, I'm a Red Bull fan, as I say, Max Verstappen fan. Um, I think Mercedes are in a bit of a mess. Ferrari, who knows? Jesus, uh, yeah, who knows? Anything can happen, to be honest. But if it does happen well from, from Ferrari starting, they'll probably trip up over themselves as the season goes by. Because that seems to be what they, they sort of do quite a lot of. Um, as for the rest of the teams, again, um, you know, Force India, or as it was Force India, um, Racing Point now, they, um, you know, they built a, a sort of Mercedes replica, I suppose you might call it, the pink Mercedes. Um, and they should yeah. do a strong job with that, that uh, car because they're a good team. So I would imagine that they might drop into the fourth place in the championship again, um, close closely followed by McLaren. Um, 
because McLaren are, are getting stronger. Um, and as for the rest, who knows? You know, Haas, I'd love to see do a good job. Um, it's just one of those sort of things, those situations where last year they started well and they sort of developed themselves into a big hole. Um, they never really got out of it. You need to not do that this year because you, you can't afford to do that and let points slip away from you. So uh, it's going to be an interesting season because it's all going to be short, you know, concise, confined. And the same circuit, you know, two, race week, two weekends in a row, it's going to be funny to see what happens, whether some teams get it wrong the first weekend and actually get it better the second weekend. Because that's, that's normally what you, you never see that. You never see that continuity to try and sort of get your car optimised after you've had all the, the, the data from running. So it's interesting to see which team works best for that to, to try and sort of make themselves have a better second weekend than they had the first weekend. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating to see how this season plays out in general. But, uh, well, Gary Anderson, we really appreciate you coming on Speed City. We um, we love having your experience and insight and being able to pick your brain. We thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll try to get you back on again. No problem. Pleasure to do it. Thanks, Gary. Thank Talk you, to you soon. Thank you, Gary. Bye. Bye. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our Formula One preseason show, and we'll be back after these messages. traditional Tex-Mex, look no further than an Austin favorite, one in a million. Serving original family recipes since 1980 and located just minutes from downtown at 2300 East Cesar Chavez, one in a million has your Tex-Mex fix every day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Breakfast is served all day. Homemade migas, enchiladas, and menudo. And try the Don Juan taco. Some say it's big enough to feed a family of four. One in a million. Online at oneinamillion.com. Motivation USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiast looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com. That's MotivationUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Hi, this is Mario Andretti, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to the show. We've had a few people ask why we're not taking calls from callers. And right now, during the pandemic, we are pre-recording these preseason these shows on Saturday. So that's why you're not able to call in. But when we get started in two weeks and uh, back on our Formula One pre and post race shows, of course, we'll be taking calls and we want your calls because we'll have Dave O'Neill back in the show. Dave's not with us today, obviously, but uh, we want to get you guys to ask questions. I mean, <laughs> a former Formula One team manager at our disposal, and we want you guys to call and talk to him. But, uh, but today... Better. I got to jump in there. Even better, he was at Haas. So we yeah. were practicing in exactly. the boardroom. 
<laughs> he helped get Haas off the ground, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Jonathan, I want to talk about someone you've met in person a couple of times, Alex Zanardi. He had a pretty bad crash, and we're still waiting on all the news. I think the latest is that he's in hospital in, in critical condition. And But, man, he apparently, in Italy, he is just a superstar and all over the world, really. But, I mean, on all the social media has just been totally full of, you know, best wishes and all that. But it's just horrible. The perseverance there that he's demonstrated is huge. And Jonathan, I know you were you followed a lot of that uh, back through the through his injuries, through all of his recovery and everything. Yeah, I mean, for those, I mean, he's he, he, for me, Alex Anardi is probably one of the most inspiring guys I've ever met because not only did he he recover from uh, losing both his legs in in that terrible incident in Indy, um, he came back and started winning without legs against perfectly able guys and incredible feat when you think about it. He then went on to win an Olympic gold medal in a wheelchair. And it looks as though the injury that he's had was while, while doing a race in that chair. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, if anybody can come through this, it'll be Alex yeah. Sonati because he's faced more adversity than any other driver I've ever, I've ever known. So in that respect, I, I wish him well, but uh, an amazing story. And just, just, I mean, he can't get a break, the poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just horrible. And I know the whole world is waiting to see how quickly he can get better. But, well, I also want to, you know, we had our first preseason Formula One show back in March. And I kind of want to pick up where we left off because we were talking back then about the Mercedes DAS system and Ferrari cheating. But starting with the Mercedes DAS system, uh, Jonathan, I want to ask your opinion. Do you okay. think do you think that they're going to roll that out in Austria? And do you think they're going to roll it out during the race? Maybe they'll roll it out during practice because, you know, if they roll it out during practice, it's not illegal to to roll that out then. And, and you know, I guess teams could protest in theory. But uh, but if they do roll it out in the race, do you think that immediately Red Bull or Ferrari or someone else will protest? Well, let's first of all explain what DAS is. <laughs> yeah, there effectively, you go. Effectively, um, when we saw the practice uh, or we saw the testing shots, uh, they've developed a system where the wheels can be moved by moving, pulling the steering wheel back. And that changes the camber of the wheels, which is very clever because it makes the car more aerodynamic in a straight line. And then they can go like back. Pilot. Yeah. Like, like a pilot. Exactly. Um, I, uh, what, what I'm, I'm torn with this because they are going to ban it in 2021, right? So they can only use it for this six-month period of what we've got left of 2020 and however many races we get in. So, and as you say, that doesn't mean that teams won't protest it or try to develop their own systems. To answer that question, no, they're not going to develop their own systems because it's going to be banned next year. How much have Mercedes put into this Um technology which is brilliant i mean i mean it's one of those re real innovations so that's why i'm torn because formula one is all about creating innovations that eventually end up on a road car and this could be a really really ingenious way of of, of developing um aerodynamics and so on and so forth so and that's the spirit of formula one so i don't understand why they're banning it for 2021 unless there is it doesn't follow the spirit of the rules um but you've got to think that mercedes aren't that dumb that they wouldn't they wouldn't have thought of that before they did it. So I'm torn because I think they've done, they've done a brilliant job of developing something that nobody else has thought of. They brought it to fruition and now they can't use it. So it, it kind of takes away the whole spirit of what Formula One was designed around, which is to be innovative in in, in a in environment. Do we know where Jim Hall is from Chaparral Racing? Remember when he did the yeah. wing that was actuated by the foot and it changed, it revolutionized the downforce for his car racing and uh they banned it as soon as he started beating everybody with it i i'm with you jonathan this is creative this is ingenuity yeah. at its best and now we're saying no yeah i think i think you're right i think they're going to say no and go home mm. yeah, it doesn't yeah, make any just... sense to me because it you know formula one is all sorts of things but it's always held technology and the advancement of technology as its number one I mean, you know, we talk yep. about it being NASA, NASA on wheels, and, and it very much is. And if you stop that innovation, I mean, let's say you're Haas and you come up with an idea, but you fear that the FIA will ban it and everybody will um, protest it. 
then you're not going to waste 35 million developing it. Here's yeah. what I say. If the, since this is driver controlled, he is physically moving it. Like, like we talked about the pilot's yoke in the airplane. He is physically moving that. I am fine with that. What I'm not fine with is if we put a computer in control with a million sensors to measure everything and finally critique that yoke placement or the pull or yaw to it. Uh, I say run with it. Let's do this. This is what we're wanting to see. We're wanting to see innovation and creativity. And uh, this certainly is out of, uh, this is out of the box thinking. I hate that phrase, but this is out of the box. Well, and it's simple too. That's what I love about it. Unless you're talking about, I mean, it's, it's, it appears to be simple. Obviously, I don't know, but it just, it, you know, you know, basically by the way it's designed and what it does, it looks very simple. And, and Jonathan, you know, you talked about aerodynamics, but also it's straightening the wheels, less drag, not only aerodynamically, but frictionally. So it's just such a simple thing. And I, I, I agree with you both that that's what F1 is all about. And we need to keep that going but what we don't what we don't know is are they going to use it at spa as they come up the top of eau rouge and then he pulls back and then he pulls back a little bit further and he gets completely airborne <laughs> yeah yes oh, no. is exactly. there some requirement to stay on the ground or are we now what are we doing yeah yeah what are the rules on actually being in touch with the ground <laughs> yeah hey jonathan you put in the show notes something else uh mclaren now the latest team to talk about being up for sale that's pretty crazy yeah, well, and it's interesting because um, you wouldn't think that the mighty Woking McLaren team would be in any search of money. But clearly, um, the combination of not getting, um, you know, a, a few bad years in Formula One where they haven't had the money from being at the sharp end, which is a lot of money uh, from, you know, effectively from the organizers. And that's how the money is, 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 is handed out. So they've lost that because they haven't been successful in the last few years. Now, COVID has pushed them back further. They have a car a car development uh, sports car program as well, um, which they want to keep going. Um, they produce motor cars as well. Um, so it, 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 obviously they've got problems. Uh, I mean, even I've heard that Latifi's father has invested somewhere in the region of 200 million into the into the company as a, as a, a potential um, shareholder. Um, but it's not enough and they're looking for more budget um, and, and potentially investors and they're not out of the woods in terms of potentially selling it. They haven't gone public as Williams did and said, we are selling Williams. Um, they haven't yeah. said that, but they've kind of put it out there that they would be willing to look for or that they want to physically get um, investors into the company. Mm. Yeah, this is going to be one to watch for sure. You know, um, it's, to me, it, it's interesting because they have so much technology to draw on it, so much other businesses, you know, in the IT world, that's a big name. And so uh, I'm really interested to see if they start leveraging some of these other technologies. You know, they moved the headquarters of the McLaren sports car group to uh, Dallas, to the Dallas area. Uh, I find that really interesting. You know, there, there's one other name that uh, news that came out this week that Elon Musk is truly moving, uh, Intending he is looking at property on the edge of Austin, Texas here. Yeah, right up by Coda, actually. Yeah, yeah, a couple of minutes from Coda. I got a question. Why did he go near Coda? Because there's a, I'm glad he's come to Austin, Texas. But why did you go near Coda? There's a lot of property available, less expensive, not near Coda, things like that. I just have to, uh, I can't discount any thoughts about why he's near the only Formula One track in the United States? I love where you're thinking less, but I think that honestly, that land is cheap. I mean, that's out east of town. There's anywhere near Austin, that's going to be about as cheap as land as you can get near Austin. It just happens to be by the airport and Coda. Yeah, and I would argue that it's a bonus that they've got the track there. And I, I'm sure he would probably invest in, in a lot of money in track, uh, track days and test time for his cars. Uh, but I would have argued that the tax in California versus the tax in Texas is oh. probably the more oh. the more bigger the bigger incentive. Oh yeah, that's what this is all about. The school district out there has already, you know, committed sixty million dollar tax break, plus the city and maybe the state are talking about additional monies. But this is and a remember, serious Musk thing. Got that money to start with from the government. He got a loan. He got a, a grant from the government to build his factory in originally. And I think he's you know he's been quite vociferous about not being happy in California. And you know. Oh, yeah the way things run over there. And he's, he's been quite, uh, quite out about uh, his feelings on being in California. 
Yeah, yeah. come on, Elon. We'll fix that that accent and give you a Texas. <laughs> the, the Musk McLaren Challenge. Musk McLaren Motorsport Challenge at Cota. How about that? Uh, there you go. I like Elongated it. Elongated <laughs> All right, well, we're going to leave it at that last week, so we got to go to break. All right, we're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk a little Formula One, a little other motor racing. We are going to talk a little, a little bit of NASCAR, because I want to talk about what they did last week. We didn't get to talk about it on the last show. You listen to Speed City, live from Austin, Texas, back after these minutes. Winding Road Racing is your first and best choice for all the essentials for a great weekend at the track. We're racers, and we love helping racers. With a full selection of racing gear in stock, get geared up with all the safety equipment needed to meet all the latest Snell FIA and SFI regulations. Outfit your car with a comprehensive lineup of racing necessities, and when you need to find a few more tents, turn to data acquisition systems from AIM Sports, V-Box, and others. Austin-based with shops in California, Georgia, and Kentucky, the source for all your racing needs. Winding Road Racing, windingroadracing.com. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. Austin's Talk, 1370. Hi, this is Gene Haas, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Welcome back to the show. Speaking of Gene Haas, there was all the rumors once again about the <laughs> I see you shaking your head, Jonathan, about the Haas F1 team up for sale or... Uh, what have you heard, Jonathan? Can I say it? Storm in a teacup. <laughs> That's right. That's a quote, actually, isn't it? From Gunther. Yes. From Gunther Steiner, yeah. Says it's a lot of rubbish. Uh, well, speaking of the Haas team, as if you've been following lately, we had Gunther on our very first uh, preseason show here. And we're going to have Gunther back on the show several times throughout the year. You know, when we start up our preseason, I mean, our, our uh, pre and post race shows that we do live. And by the way, the first one, of course, is going to be July 5th. It'll be bright and early at 7 a.m. Central Time. So go to our website, <laughs> Speed City Broadcast, <laughs> speedcitybroadcast.com to check out how to listen to that. And, uh, and uh, but yeah, we're going to be back on the air with those shows. And, and Gunther's going to join us throughout the season. And of course, Dave O'Neill will be back. Apparently, Dave was uh, up at Road Atlanta and had uh, one of the cars he was working Road on. America. I mean, this guy at Road America had a, a car crash, so he's not able to join us right now. That's what happened to Dave. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan, I want to I want to get your opinion on something because I've been thinking about this F1 reserve drivers. They've kind of come into the spotlight because of COVID, right? Because the way that, that F1 has set up the, 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 uh, the procedures is that a driver could – if a driver tests positive – then they step back and then a reserve driver could step in. So it doesn't stop the whole season. So all of a sudden it looks like, okay, maybe we actually have reserve drivers that are, have become more important. And I want to get your take on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. I mean, it's an obvious story in terms of, you know, if Lewis Hamilton got sick for, for whatever reason, you know, um, obviously then, then in comes the reserve. So uh, I think it's a real break for potentially uh, a reserve driver. And we, we remember the, 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 the where's and what for's for poor old um, Alexander Rossi when he tried desperately to get on the grid and on again, off again. And, and when he finally got there, you know, an uncompetitive car. But this could really give somebody from Alfa Romeo or Haas or wherever um, um, an opportunity like Adela Traz, you know, who won the virtual Le Mans. So, um, you know, um, I, I think it's an interesting one. The other, the flip side of it is, um, 
my worry is that the COVID sort of economic ramifications could also halt potentially reserve drivers and F2 drivers potential budget um, to go racing and to be in a position to be a reserve driver. Um, and that worries me too, because that you might lose a driver from COVID, but you also might lose potentially a reserve driver by not, you know, by him not having the financial acumen to be able to go uh, and stay with Formula One or be in a position to race mm. at the super license points. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, was well, speaking of young reserve type, young drivers. Uh, I heard the news about Jamie Chadwick uh, going into F3. Man, when we had her on the show last year, I think she was probably in my opinion, the most impressive young driver we've ever had on the show. I don't know exactly how old she is, but I just remember she just blew me away in how mature and how smart. She was amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, uh, she's been given a break like no other. Uh, she's been sponsored by an Australian who owns his own company called Roden um, and has invested in her to go to the FIA F3. Of course, the, the, the W Series, which she was going to defend her title in, is no longer this year. So she was without a ride. And now she's got the premium ride, and, and literally premium, because she's going to be racing for Prima, the Italian F3 team, who are multiple, multiple champions. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a dream come true. And it really does, for the first time in my mind, put a woman in a position to make it to Formula One through the traditional ladder. You know, after talking to her that day, last year, I was like, I immediately went there in my head, is that this woman could go to Formula One. And, and I know she's proven herself on the track in the W Series, and obviously if they're bringing her into F3, there's, there's thoughts there. So this is, she's probably the most exciting woman in motorsports right now, and I'm really, wait to see how this this plays out one of the things is fia and formula one have said that they're going to focus more on the women of motorsports and so i think all of this is happening at the right time and and in particularly for jamie this this is great because they've said they're going to be looking more so here i'd love to see her come in and get that f1 seat somehow yeah. Well, she's certainly going to be up against it because she's going to be having equal equipment. They have got the top team. I can almost guarantee you that one of those drivers will probably win or be the runner up in that championship. So if she's nowhere near them, um, you know, that is not good. But if she is close and if not, you know, a race winner herself, she's going to she's going to really turn some heads. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Hey, Les, I saw you put something in the notes, and I'm really, you know, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this, and it's a really good story. It's it's essentially how F1 is talking about a, really a balance of power, balance of performance, I mean, because the wind tunnel time, how depending on where the teams finish in the uh, in the championship standings is the, the higher up you finish, the less wind tunnel time you're going to get. I mean, this is this goes along the same kind of lines you're talking about with, with uh, salary caps and things like that, trying to bring some more balance into Formula One. It is, absolutely. So wind tunnel time is expensive time and it's real time. It is uh, something where they're defining the downforce, the slipperiness of their vehicles and everything. But what they're looking at is there could be as much as, uh, I think one example they provided was 12 hours per week difference of wind tunnel time. And so uh, it gets pretty, big in difference that if you're Mercedes and you're out front, well, you're, you may not be getting, you may be getting uh, 20 hours or 25 hours of wind tunnel time. Uh, and then somebody at the back end, Williams, if they can afford it, they can get it at 10 or 12 hours more than Mercedes in that given period. Uh, the time frames are, are floating around as well as the scale, but that gives you an example of what to expect that there could be a substantial difference if somebody has 20 or 25 hours and somebody else gets 35 hours in that same time frame, time period, so. Yeah, this is what this is part of the uh, the 2021 changes. So this will would take effect really after 2021, but still this is really revolutionary. Jonathan, you, you, know, you know the history of Formula One as good as anybody on the planet. I mean, have we had similar back at any point no, not that I know of. I mean, not not in such a sort of um, not dr draconian is the wrong word, but not not with such a sort of uh, you know cause and effect way, 
which is, you know, because it, as, as Les says, is it, but it's both expensive and it's key um, wind tunnel testing. And so if you do get a step up on that, um, I mean, you know, back in Gary's time, the, the, you know, you had to, there was only a couple of wind tunnels in Europe. So you had to beg, steal or borrow time from another company and pay through the nose because it's not like everybody's got a wind tunnel, you know. Um, they were basically used by the, you know, aeronautical world, by the plane world. So, um now there's more, but you know it's it, it's it's a it's a really telling thing, and I, I encourage it. I think it's a good idea. I think it is a good idea. I think we're going to see some creative accounting, such as uh, maybe Mercedes pays Williams, put this nose on your car. Yeah. Let huh. us know. You know, we'll contract to you to do this, and then we get it back. Certainly, uh, that's a way to put some coin in Williams coffers and get that nose checked out. Well, it's uh, no I, different than, than, than Alfa Romeo, sorry, than um, uh, Toro Rosso have done for uh, Red Bull when they took the Honda engine first. Yeah, yeah, good point. But it certainly has a, a you know, kind of an American feel to it, doesn't it? Where, you know, the, the NBA and NFL have done such a fantastic job of, of bringing parity through the sports. And I know that Formula One's just a whole different ball game, but pun intended, but it, uh, but it's, I love this step in the right direction. And I think that, I, I mean, I think yeah, you should ahead. do, I think you should do an NFL draft for the drivers every year. And uh, basically, you know, like, you know, your first pick is Lewis Hamilton because he's the world champion and he may have to, he may have to drive for uh, Alfa Romeo or whoever. Yeah. Whoever gets him in the draft. Huh. I, hey, I love it. Honestly, I'd love to see some, something that could, uh, you know, anything that's going to bring parity into the into F1. But, hey, guys, I want to talk a little NASCAR because oh. um, NASCAR did something that really was pretty astounding considering it's all of the. Yeah, no. And not crash. <laughs> no. Uh, but but really on a very serious note, you know, with what's what happened with George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter, all the, the racial tension throughout the world now. And NASCAR comes out and bans the Confederate flag and just, I mean, stepped out ahead of every American sport. You know, the NFL has, you know, has fought against uh, Colin Kaepernick's kneeling during the national anthem, and, and now they're starting to turn around. But NASCAR was the first one. Imagine that. We would have, I mean, I would have never guessed it that NASCAR was going to do this first. It blows my mind, and I take my hat off to Steve Phelps, who is the who said he's actually been wanting to do this for a while, and this was the opportunity. Bubba Wallace, obviously, going on CNN and saying that that's what they should do, and everybody's talking about Black Lives Matter. But what a step! And yeah. I mean, it's a huge step, uh, both politically and for sport. Um, like you say, they've got a real jump on both NFL, baseballs, you know, in a mess. Uh, basketball, they beat them to it, um, and you know, as we all know. Um, the black majority in sport in this country um, has a huge voice. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really monumental historical moment for sport in America. I, I agree. Think, I'm I think very happy to see them step up because it is a huge cultural shift. I'll say yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit disappointed that it took 52 years after Jim Crow for it to happen. But thank you for taking that initiative, standing up, knowing you've got a big audience that feels that way about that flag. Yep, I think that NASCAR uh, had a problem in that area, and I'm so glad they fixed it. All right, guys, well, we are out of time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks to Gary Anderson for coming on the show. And, of course, we will talk to you next Sunday. Ciao, y'all. Happy, happy trails. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 